This feels loud. There we go. How's everyone doing this morning? Pretty good. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> I'll just talk for a second and uh, you guys can dial in your EQ. <clears throat> check, 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 check. My wife on the front row, Bex, and myself, we've got three kids. Our youngest son drools nonstop. And so when we don't know where he is, we just look on the floor, because he's our little slug, and we just see a line that he's kind of drooled and smeared along somewhere, somehow. Uh, Gray, our little slug. Okay. How exciting uh, to be sharing this morning. Um, Amazing how I had a direction, it's still a little bit of the direction, and uh, I just felt a couple really random things that I didn't know how they fit, and then Andy came up and another gentleman came up and kind of hit on exactly uh, where I want to start. Uh, but the first thing I want to do is actually just uh, read a text that uh, Katie threw in our sort of eldership team thread uh, yesterday. And uh, just to get a sense of where our whole team is kind of sensing where we're going. Uh, she said this, I just wanted to share with you guys, last weekend, Sunday morning, I felt God clearly challenge me and say there is a shift of a new season here. Even with some of Ken's ministry, there was a shifting felt in the atmosphere. The challenge I felt was you can continue to look back to Egypt and continue to grumble about what has passed, or you can look ahead and take hold of the promises. It keeps coming to me in my heart, uh, and she goes on and just says that she feels challenged, um, that we need to look forward because there is an inheritance waiting. Amen? And it was reminding me as I was sitting there about Galatians uh, 1 or 2, somewhere in there. You know, Paul is writing to a church that he loved dearly. And in, in this letter, in the, in the, right in the beginning, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And the, the concept is that they had begun their lives in the Spirit, and then they were switching over to try and achieve what God had called them to in the flesh. They started putting rules and regulations saying, you know, you got to be circumcised, this, that, the other. And there was a muddying of the gospel taking place, and Paul calls them to account and says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to obtain through the flesh? And it reminded me of the story of the Israelites. And, and this random verse came to me when I was preparing, and maybe you've heard it, and maybe you haven't. It's more of a proverb that pops up in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It says this, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Has anyone heard that before? couple people. It's very random. It's a, it's a short little thing. But I was thinking about this because this week I've had a couple of interactions with people where straight up just demonic attacks. Things have happened that have sort of uh, maybe taken some steam and some uh, momentum away from what I believe God is doing in our community and that he started to do last week uh, with Ken here. But basically the concept is this, and it's pretty self-explanatory, 
The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In the old covenant, this is what happened. God reserved the right to carry out the iniquity or, or to um, uh, punish the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. And that's because the old covenant was based on your and my performance. Every year, there was a sacrifice made by the Israelites through a high priest. And the process of um, cleansing and purifying and setting apart, all these things. There was this lengthy process that was taking place where people had to get a specific animal without blemish, without spot. All these types of things. And prepare it as a sacrifice to atone for sins that they had committed in the course of that year. But this is what the verse says. It's in uh, Jeremiah 31, 29. It says, In those days they shall no more say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. What Jeremiah is speaking about is what we are now living in as Christians, is that there was a day coming where the old covenant would be inferior. It would no longer be the standard by which a Christ follower would live. Instead, the Christ follower would enter into a new and living way, a new covenant. And I had a sense this morning as we're sitting here that a number of people in this room have experienced what was brought in this word, what Andy mentioned, is that we get stuck in the mindsets of old and, and God deposits a seed in our lives like he did through Ken and Michelle last week. And the enemy does everything he can to distract us and get us off track as quickly as possible because he knows that when that seed bears roots, those roots will eventually become fruits. And I want to encourage us this morning don't allow the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy the thing that God has deposited in our midst. In Matthew 14, it says this, verse 22, and Jesus introduced this new covenant. He said, this, uh, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The new covenant brought with it the age of grace. And Ezekiel, who wrote about this same proverb saying that, that the fathers would drink sour grapes and eat sour grapes and the, you know, the teeth would be on edge of the children, he also says this in Ezekiel 36, I will give you, I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. He says, I will put my spirit on you. And he is prophesying, he is looking to the future and he's being the voice of God to say to people, in this new covenant, it will no longer be the outward thing. It will no longer be you seeing your kid's teeth on edge and wondering, what sour grape did I eat? What thing did I do wrong? And I feel like that was the voice of the enemy in some of us this week, is that we are seeing the situations in our lives and we're saying, what is it that I did wrong? What does this date back to? Where does it come from? And I feel like God just wants to remind us this morning that you are a new creation. Isn't it amazing? It does not matter how achieved, accomplished we are in life. The enemy 
is always trying to tie us to our past. Always. You could be 20, 30, 50, 80. It doesn't matter. How many movies have you watched where someone that has this incredible uh, gift, something that needs to come out and shine, but something in the past has held them back for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And it's connected to fear and shame and all these things. But the Bible tells us that the covenant that we live in is a better covenant. Amen? The Bible tells us in Hebrews, I believe it says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. A covenant that came because the first covenant was inferior. I was thinking about because we all go through these phases where either we mess up and, and Richard in our connect group this week was saying, when I mess up, I like to beat myself up because it makes me feel good. <laughs> Referring just to humanity as a whole. And the truth is, we all like to do this. We all need our minds renewed at times because we do things where we, we don't measure up, we feel inadequate, we just flat out mess up, we hurt someone, and what we do is we like to put ourselves through turmoil. Anyone? Yes? No? We're all above it, right? We're all above it. But we put ourselves through turmoil. Do you know why we do that? I was thinking, this is how incredible this is about us as humans, we do it because we understand that there has to be a price paid for our wrongdoing. And we are trying to pay it by beating ourselves up. And what happens is we try and pay for a price by doing something that will never pay that price. But it makes us feel good because it pro provides some sort of retribution in our hearts. If I suffer for what I did wrong, then I will feel better. And Jesus says that he suffered because you did wrong, because I did wrong. You know, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and uh, I mean, this church was crazy. You know, you read the first letter. They had all sorts of crazy, all the reasons why they should beat themselves up. Sexual sin. People in the church, two rows over, like, I'm not sitting there. Why? Because I'm actually in a lawsuit. I'm suing him for something. You know. Other people saying, like, oh, the, you know, my gift, you know, is more superior to your gift. All sorts of issues. And Paul's response was not to come in and say, you idiots. Get on track. No, you know what he says? He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes something that I think is extremely profound for us. He says this, Christ's love compels us, compels me. I don't know if you're guilty of this, but, or, you know, in your job or your life or with your spouse or whatever, sometimes we as humans can be the voice of the enemy to the people around us. We can beat them up. We can accuse them. 
We can manipulate them. We can ridicule them. We can make fun. We can jab. We can do all these things. And it's like we are being the voice of the enemy in the people's lives around us. Has anyone been there? Or am I the only one who's just extremely guilty? But Paul says this to the Corinthian church in his second letter. He says, Christ's love compels me. It's the word seneco. It's like when you see, an, and uh, someone mentioned a boat, but when you see a ship forced into a narrow strait of water, it's like the word for like when a prisoner is arrested. It's like he says, Christ's love compels me. Why? Because we are convinced that if one died for all, then all have died. And what he says is that we will no longer regard anyone from a worldly perspective. How easy is it for us as followers of Jesus to regard people based on a worldly perspective? It's so easy. Why? Because we think we can draw conclusions subconsciously, either by the way someone dresses, the way they carry themselves, what they own, who they hang around, what their job is. It's so easy. And yet Paul says that we are compelled to regard no one from a worldly perspective. He goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that we can put on our fridges. If anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hey? New creation. That's, that's the word kainos. New. Not resembling the old. Completely brand new. New make, new model. But I think the reminder for us, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, you know, this in Christ is a fixed position. You know why we beat ourselves up when we mess up? Because we forget about that fixed position. We pay a price that's already been paid. But you know, when we pay a price for our wrongdoing that's already been paid. That does not put us in the presence of God. In fact, it does quite the opposite. Hebrews 9, speaking of the new and living way, says this, but when the Messiah arrived... High priest of the superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. His death marked the transition from the old plan to the new one. 
canceling the old obligations and accompanying sins and summoning the heirs to receive the internal inheritance that was promised them. He brought together God and his people in this new way. I'm not preaching or sharing anything new. These are verses we know so well. But I was thinking what I was preparing is why preach an elementary truth? <laughs> why preach something that we've heard every uh, Sunday maybe for 20 years? Why? What is the point? <laughs> because it's easy for us to take a position here now. You're sitting there and most of us, if not all of us, are not wearing masks. Where it's a new, a new season. We're sitting here, we're thinking it's a new season. Something new. But I feel to remind us, it's a new season and the methods may change, but the message still stays the same. When Jesus says, I am doing a new thing, that new thing may just mean that we shake off the dust of yesterday's mentalities. That we shake off the old way of thinking. Why? Has anyone here ever tried driving a car when your rearview mirror is bigger than your windshield? It's backwards living, right? But I believe God is wanting to make our ceiling our floor. I have a sense that God is trying desperately to get our attention. The temptation for all of us is to run back to the routines of old. There's nothing wrong with routine. The Bible tells us that you know, Paul entered the synagogue as was his custom. Those routines keep us sane. Ask my wife what life would look like with me without routine. But I do believe the new thing that God is doing is not so much in the outworking of what we're doing, but simply a different position in our hearts for what he is doing. You know, when uh, was it Andy or Paul said, do you, behold, I do a new thing, do you not perceive it? right? Perceiving what God is doing is not seen with our natural eyes. It's seen with the eyes of our hearts. I was sharing this in Connect Group, and I was just thinking of it now as, um, you know, if, if I go to a grocery store and I'm looking for a very specific item, it's amazing. If you ask me about uh, a different item, did you see this item while you were there? I would think, no, I didn't see it. Why didn't you see it? Because your eyes were positioned to look for something specific. And in looking at something specific, you missed a lot of other things, right? And that's exactly how it works for us as human beings. Is that we can get so lost in looking for something specific. Or looking for a new thing. A new thing not being the eyes of our heart being enlightened. That we would know the hope to which we have called to. But a new thing being a new way of doing things. We'd be looking for an exterior process. Something that comes in and changes us from the outside. 
We hear God is doing a new thing, and we think, okay, well, does that mean the service will look different? Does it mean that the song will be different? Does it mean that uh, it'll be different how we do our connect group outlines? Or Like, instinctively, as human beings, we like to work from the outside in. But I just want to remind us this morning, the gospel is still the gospel. The plan is still the plan, and that plan is that the priesthood of all believers would be mobilized to reach a dying world. You know, who here benefited last week from Ken's ministry? Lots of us. There was amazing things, and I think that we won't even know the extent. As time goes on, we'll just continue to see the the impact that that has had. But the temptation for us is that we treat what happened last week as a pinnacle, as a high point. Oh, man, like when Ken was here, it was like it was up here, and this whole thing took place, and it was this, and it was that. And now we settle back into the groove and wait for the next high. But I want to read something to put that into context. It says this in Ephesians 4. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. I'll read it in the message. It says, He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive. Like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy prey for predators. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Like Christ in everything, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other, His very breath and blood flow through us nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. The sense I have is God is calling us to maturity. I don't know about you, but I know the last season had me feeling extreme highs and extreme lows. The propensity to be tossed to and fro was tremendous. And I think that's for the case for a lot of us. But the sense that I have is God is saying to us as a community, no more babes in the woods. No more babes in the woods. Why? 
You know, Ken came here last week, Michelle, they ministered in the prophetic, and it was a blessing. But I'm reminded when I read this that, the, that Ephesians 4 says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Why? To equip the church into maturity. You see, the prophetic is foundational. The apostolic is foundational. The point of these things is not that Ken's ministry, Michelle's ministry would come in and be a pinnacle in our lives, although they can be something special that we look back on. The point is that they would be foundational. In other words, it's not a pinnacle, it's a launching pad. Amen? And God is calling us into deeper things in him. We have gone through a season that we said, oh, it's going to be streams in the desert. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. But the point, I believe, is God is taking us on a journey of maturity because what he has for us, we are not ready for. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed it to us by his spirit. It also says that we have the mind of Christ. The Amplified says that we share the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of his heart. It requires a mature church to carry out a gospel that he has called us to. Amen? And I want to encourage us this morning is that God is wanting to do a new thing in us. But it's not a new thing externally as much as it's a new thing internally. And what he's calling us to is maturity. And what maturity is, is simply you and I, sons and daughters of the Most High, rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters as we grow to become fathers and mothers. If you are a man or you are a woman, God's plan for you has never changed. He is trying desperately, lovingly, caringly to grow you and me to become a father and a mother in his house. You know, as a single man, I could quote, as we all could, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, holds no record of wrong, delights in the truth, always protects, always loves, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres, love never fails, right? Right? That is the process of maturity. It sounds incredible in a sermon. But then, like you, I've still got to go home. <laughs> I've still got to grow. You know, the mentioned water this morning and this analogy we've heard often. The Dead Sea... And the Sea of Galilee are both fed by the same river, same freshwater river. It's the, the Jordan River. The Dead Sea is so dead and so salty that even if you can't swim, you'll still float. 
people travel all over the world to experience the Dead Sea, as weird as that is. The Sea of Galilee gets the exact water, the Jordan River water. The only difference is that the Sea of Galilee has an outspout. It's the only difference. Maturity is about learning to serve others. I really do believe that for a lot of us, this reality of the mobilization of the priesthood, when you think about just this, the picture, think about just the picture of the last two years with the, with the rules and everything, where everyone up here was not wearing a mask and everyone down here was. Just think about that picture. That is never what God intended for his church. Think about that. Hear what I'm saying. God's intention for the church was never that we would be stuck in seats with our faces covered while everyone else does the work. That's what I'm saying. God's intention was that you would step into the fullness of what he has for you but you would do it in the context of community. It's like when you're in a room with someone like Ken, you just want to be a prophet. <laughs> you just want that thing, right? Every gift brings glory. And God has given you a gift, and he's given me a gift, and it may not be a prophetic gift like Ken's. Maybe. But it always brings glory. just want to read something that Jesus said. It's in Luke 9. You know, Jesus is basically calling people to follow him. And Jesus says to this guy, you know, come follow me. And he says, certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Um, that's kind of like harsh. You know, the Amplified maybe puts it in a maybe a help, more helpful way to understand. It says, first, let me go and await the death of my father. In other words, first let me go and do what culture has taught me is the right thing to do. Jesus refuses and says, first things first, your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. Oh, man, I can relate to that. Right? There's always, there is always another diaper. This morning, this morning, Mika comes out of her room. Oh, no. You, never, you don't want to ever hear that from Mika. It's, it never is a good thing. Oh, no. And she's wearing this diaper that's almost see-through, and she's got this pee on her floor. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. That, honestly, that, that for us, we, we've been married since 2018. Uh, when we got married, Mila was six. And in that time, we've had two babies. Uh, my job is very busy. And we actually intentionally avoided having people in our home because we were still trying to get climatized to this crazy life that we took on. <laughs> but the truth is, there's never a good time. Remember Mike sharing a story of when they came and planted this church, Mike and Debs, who are away on sabbatical. They planted this church and... Um, when they were leaving South Africa, they had a number of people that would come up to them and say, oh, like, can't wait to, you know, we're going to come visit you guys, and we're going to, you know, maybe we'd love, we've always thought we'd love to move there one day and all this kind of stuff. And Mike says 10 years, 15 years later, they've done multiple trips to South Africa, and they see these people, and the people, oh, we've been meaning to, well, this is what happens, isn't it? There's never a good time. Never. But the kingdom is now. He says, no procrastination, no backwards looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Seize the day. Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. You treat it like a law. It's not a law. It's not. It's, that's a reality. Who here has tried driving on the highway when you're looking backwards? It's so stupid. It doesn't work. <laughs> but the reality is, is that this kingdom requires our full attention. So my encouragement for us this morning is pretty simple. Because I believe that we are on a journey of maturity. But it's going to require our mobilization as individuals, our engagement as individuals. Amen? That's all I got. <laughs> it's not a uh, crazy... No, I wasn't... That was just an encouragement. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Can I pray? I want to share. Yeah, do you want it? Sure. <clears throat> it's good to have fun, isn't it? Yeah. I was thinking, uh, I've heard, I heard someone an older person. Old people are just, you guys are such a blessing, hey? Who's old? Huh? Who's old? <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> if I have to call you out, you're in denial. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I feel old sometimes. But old people, you are a blessing. You're an absolute blessing. Think about Caleb. When they took the promised land, he was, he was old. And we hear this a lot, but he says, he says, I'm basically, I'm ready to take what is mine. Yeah. In other words, I've still got some fights left in me, 
and I've still got some inheritance left for me. But this preacher just said he was probably way too serious when he was young. Being a Christ follower is, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, we, we had a group in our, in our home this week, and in some degree, it was a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't know a few people in the room. And I thought, this makes some, only in the kingdom does this work. Different nationalities, different age demographics, different ways of thinking. Lord, I just want to thank you right now. Lord, I thank you that you are bringing us into a new season. Lord, I thank you that your new way, Lord, is not about an exterior, external pattern or um, process or whatever it is, Lord, but I thank you that your new way is simply a new way of thinking. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who understand that in order for us to get to where we are supposed to be going in you, we have to be willing to stand on the ceiling of yesterday and look to the future of what you're doing. Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't be like the Pharisees that made the traditions of man to nullify the power of God. Lord, I pray that we would be humble. Lord, that we would be hungry. Lord, that we would be intentional. We don't want to be babes in the woods. Lord, we want to be like Caleb who says, give me my inheritance. Spirit, I just pray that you would just breathe afresh in us. Think about that passage in Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit. The, the, the best part about that to me is I will, I will, I will. God, I thank you when we open our hands, we open our hearts to you, Lord. We, we surrender to you. We, we sang about a re-surrender. We surrender to you, God, and it's you. For it is your good pleasure that you will and you work in us according to your will and your word. Lord, as we stand here and we open our hearts to you, I just pray, God, won't you change us? Won't you shake the dust off? Lord, won't you shake the old mindsets, Lord, where there's bitterness and unforgiveness, where there is resentment, where there is frustration, where there is whatever, whatever it is that is bottled up in our hearts, if anything. Or limitations, God, where we've just, that's the way it was, that's the way it is, that's the way it's going to be. Lord, I just pray that you would just shake those things off of us. And Holy Spirit, that you would breathe afresh in us. Lord, that the seed of your word would fall on good soil. Even as we're standing here, Lord, I just pray that it would be good soil, good soil, that it would take root and produce a harvest.
you so much. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. exercise of participation. 